Hey guys, it's Stabo and this is Vision is Greater Than Anything. And this is actually a special episode for me. I have Meta Hemingway with me. She is my second mom, essentially that's what I kind of like to call her. Um, the reason I say that is ever since the day her and her family moved into my neighborhood when I was about seven, I have been best friends with her son. Um, Meta and her family have taken me in like their own. I mean, we've done everything together since I was, again, seven years old, whether it's vacations or family trips, they included me in everything. So they really treat me like I'm their own. Um, Meta's been amazing to me. Again, she's been like a second mom. She's been someone to go to, someone that's always been there for me. Um, she's been a mentor in a lot of ways. She's had a lot that she's gone through and made it through all of it. Um, she has a husband, actually, that you know had cancer and is still fighting it to this day. Um, she had a health scare with blood clots. I mean, it just seemed one thing after another in the last few years, things kept going wrong for her in her life. But, you know, she kept fighting through it like, like she always has. And it's just the right time to do an episode with her. So this is a really a fun one for me. It's um, a personal one for me. So I do hope you guys enjoy it. Thank you so much. All right, Meta, thanks a lot for doing this. Thanks for uh, having me. For all those that don't know, uh, you've been sort of my mom since I've been a lot like, I was maybe seven or eight years old when we like first met, you know? And so we've been a family ever since then. I mean, like the first day that I met you and your family, it was when you guys were moving into the house near mine. And I just came out one day to ask if I can help you guys move. And it was kind of like history after that. And so, I just think it's one of those crazy stories and I think about it often where, you know, since day one, we've been very, very close and you've always invited me to everything we've ever done, whether it's visiting other family members or trips or traveling and stuff like that. I was always included and I lost my mom when I was in high school. And so after that, I think we became even tighter once that happened because I think obviously as we got older, we were able to have more adult conversations and whatnot and that kind of helped us grow, I think. So, I mean, very long story short for the people that don't know we've known each other for a long time yeah. we've been family for a long time um so i think it's important to get that out, out of the way and you know i've been working on this vision thing for quite a while now yes you've seen the, the ins and outs of it a little bit here and there you know and i always we talked a while back about actually doing an episode mm -hmm. and i think now seems to make a lot of sense to do it and so you watched it for a while you kind of know how it goes and so right off the bat what i want to know is what's your vision my vision is to be whoever I am, wherever I am, and if I lack the strength wherever I am, that I have the courage to ask for help. Mm -hmm. That's my vision. Why is that so important to you? Uh, because I have had a history of thinking that I could just take on the world and have and just solve all the problems for all the people. And um, what I've come to realize as the saying goes is that you can't set yourself on fire to keep other people warm. Right. So it, it has become quite clear to me that sometimes the helper needs to ask for help. Right. And that's my vision. I agree. Yeah. I think that it's easy, especially at a young age, I see this all the time, where the younger we are, it seems to be that the more we know, and the older you get, the more you realize you don't know anything. And that comes to also what you're capable of. Mm -hmm. Because I myself also used to try and help everybody out that I could. I hated to say no, 
even if it was like really inconvenient or it's gonna hurt me or something like that, it was hard to. And I think it's the same for you because you've been like a mom figure to a lot of people. Right. So it's hard to, to say no or turn somebody away. But I think, and you probably agree that you really have to help yourself first and work on yourself first before you can help out everybody else. Right. Would you and agree? It's a, yeah, I agree, and it's a lesson I'm still learning. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think you learn those things all at once. You you sort of figure it out as you go. Um, but, you know, the last, there, the last few years, there have been some really huge crises in my life. Um, so, yes, I've been doing a lot of helping of my kids, in which, by the way, I'm so proud of you, and I consider you one of my own, so mm-hmm. it's never been difficult for me to invite you in to our lives because you are mine. It, you feel very much like mine, you and your sister both. Mm-hmm. So that'll always just be a natural. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that um, as, as, as I get older and my kids get older, you find that there becomes this almost a role reversal where... You've been you spent your entire life helping them and making sure that they're ready for whatever the world brings at them, and then you find yourself in this crazy spot where you've never been before, and all of a sudden you feel like you need to draw on them for help, and that's a weird, difficult feeling for a parent, a mom. Mm-hmm. I can speak only for moms. That's really hard mm-hmm. to to ask your kids. I'm I you know hey, I'm I'm. A little in over my head right now. Yeah. I need a hand. Mm-hmm. Whatever it is. Because you used to be like, like that pillar. Yes. Where when everybody else has problems, it's easy to come to you for that sort of stuff. Right. You know? And I think maybe you and I talked about this once before. Where I think that if you're in a position, one of those positions where people do come to you for help or advice, to show that vulnerability and say that, hey, I need help sometimes also, there's like no greater like sign of leadership or courage that you can show than that. Mm-hmm. You know? Right. And... One of the things you just mentioned is, and I know this, but for most people don't, is the last few years have been pretty rough. One of them is your husband was going through cancer. Right. So how was going through that for you? Um, yeah. So different, I mean, obviously, I've known your husband, Bruce, for a long time. Right. And it's different being, obviously, you know, a friend of his and being around him for a long time, but you're his wife. You're with him 24-7. Right. So how was it, like, that whole experience? Okay, so I might cry here. Um, That's okay. So, so yeah, um, in 2015, he was diagnosed with esophageal cancer, which is a horrible cancer. Um, and so he underwent um, chemotherapy, radiation, and a, and a surgery that basically opened, opened him up stem to stern to remove any remaining cancer. Um, and so it was incredibly difficult to watch him... Um, go through the pain of, of radiation um, to help him clean his feeding tube multiple times a day, you know, because he couldn't eat anything by mouth. So, um, you know, and I have a full-time job also, and so, so I became sort of a nurse at home, mm-hmm. um, and, and I, you know, you, you try to balance and try to make sure that they're okay mentally also, you know, because... I can't imagine being in his shoes, having all these terrible things happening to me, um, and so and you know, and then I'm driving back and forth to Iowa City when he's having surgeries and so on and so on. So that was uh, that was really hard to watch someone you love suffer so terribly. Mm-hmm. And I'm not a person who we talked about this vulnerability thing right. a, a, a little bit ago. I'm not a person who 
who breaks down and crumbles. I'm the person who says, okay, let, let's have a plan. Right. How are we going to fix this? Because I am a fixer. Sure. And this, this, and I, I admit to being a little bit of a control freak, mm -hmm. as you probably know. Yeah. And this was something I didn't have any control over. And that is really hard. Yeah. And I can't fix him. I can't make the pain less. I can't do anything about it. And it was really awful. Yeah. It's scary to think about. I'm similar in that way where you like to have control of as much as you can, you know, especially like whether it's work or stuff outside of work. It's nice to, to be busy when you think you're somebody like that has goals, you like to achieve them. You do a lot to do that. But when there's stuff you can't control, it's it's such an uncomfortable feeling. And it almost makes you like feel weak or not worthy. Like, why can't I do anything about this? Right. You know? And that's it's hard to get out of that mindset. Right. But the older I get and through the experiences that I've had, whether it was through soccer or losing my mom, I understand that there's a there's gonna be a whole lot that I cannot control. The more time I spend thinking about that stuff, the more I'm gonna hurt myself and the more uncomfortable it gets. If I can find a way to focus on the stuff that I still can't control, like even like amidst all the chaos, it makes me feel a little bit better, knowing that I can do my part, but then understanding that I, you just can't fix it all. And sometimes you like to think that you can, but you can't. No. You know? No. That's tough. That's that has tough. been a hard lesson for me because, mm -hmm. you know, the, the hits have just kept coming. Yeah. Um, and, and so, yeah, I mean, and it's, I think it's particularly hard, um, when you realize you have no control over something that is really hurting someone you yeah. love. Yeah. That's, that's just, you feel unmoored. You, you feel useless mm -hmm. in it. Mm -hmm. And even though, you know, your head knows you're not, your head knows you're doing the best you can, right. but we tell ourselves stories about, you know, well... Uh, I should be able to do this. I should be able to make him feel better. I should be able to, I, I don't know, call a doctor and find more different medication. I, there was literally nothing I could do except just hang in there and mm -hmm. unclog the feeding tubes and d just talk to him, let him sleep when he needed sleep, all the things that you do. Right. But it's a helpless feeling. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But doing something at all is huge and it's like hard to not be hard on yourself yeah. again when someone you want to control stuff it's hard to understand that i'm doing the best i can because you have this weird feeling that maybe i can do some more maybe i can maybe i can but you just have to admit sometimes you cannot like you just said a minute ago it was a number of things that kept on happening these last few years and the next one that i want to talk about is you yourself had a health scare a few years ago mm -hmm. with blood clots and whatnot. Mm -hmm. And obviously that's another one of those situations where there's a lot out of your control, but it's happening to you this time. Right. So talk a little bit about that experience yeah. and how it was to not be able to do anything about it. Oh my, yeah, that, that, one, uh, that one cut me off at the knees. Yeah. Um, I, I've been a runner for more than 20 years. And um, in 2017, in the fall of September, um, I, I began having trouble breathing on runs and I thought, well, as the person who likes to have control, right. I'm, I must not be training hard enough. Right. I must be, I must need to train a little harder. Why can't I breathe on this easy three mile run? Why? And it was over the course of, I would say four or five days that I found myself increasingly short of breath. Like even singing to the radio in the car, yeah. I would find myself short of breath. Oh, I must be, I'm not working hard enough when I run. I, I need to improve that and this will go away. 
Um, well, it turns out um, it was one evening, um, and my daughter is a nurse. You know, Amanda's a nurse. Mm -hmm. And I began having terrible, terrible pains in my chest. And so I called her and I said, hey, you know, I've been short of breath the last few days. I'd, I'd even done a six-mile run that morning, and sure. I couldn't keep up with my friends. Like, mm -hmm. it was the strangest thing. So I called my daughter, and I was like, you know, I've been short of breath, and my chest really, really hurts. And she sort of panicked, and mom, and so she came and got me, and she took me to the emergency room, and they, they did scans right away, and they discovered that I had um, large uh, blood clots in both of my lungs, um, and I was a least likely candidate for such a thing. I'm always, I've always been very healthy, very fit. Um, they did all kinds of genetic testing to see if there was a reason why, and I'm someone who needs to know why. Yeah. I need to know why this happened. Uh, and and the, the truth is no one knows. Um, and so, so I was you know, put in the hospital for a couple of days while they um, tried to figure out what to do with me. And so it's been determined now that I'll be on blood thinners for the rest of my life um, because they don't know why it happened. Mm -hmm. And that's really hard for me. Yeah. I, I, I'm a person who, I need answers. Right. And there aren't any to this. And so, like, I nearly lost my life because, A, I didn't think it was a big deal. Instead of asking for help, mm -hmm. I just assumed that I needed to work harder. Right. And how silly is that? All the warning signs were there. I, I, you know, I'm I'm well read mm -hmm. and well versed on matters of health, and all the warning signs are there. Right. But I ignored them, thinking that I was the problem. Right. That's sad yeah, and sad. scary. And because because you've been a runner for twenty years, but you've also been a consistent runner for twenty years. Absolutely. So you don't just lose all that just no. one week. Right. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah, I've done dozens of half marathons and marathons and every distance ever. And I mean, I've, I've trained hard, I've performed well mm -hmm. at races, and all of a sudden I can't breathe. And for some reason, I think it's my own fault. Right. Do they know if, obviously they don't know what caused it, but does that also mean that they don't know, will it come again? Or do they have an idea of how you can prevent it going forward? For, uh, the prevention going forward is being on blood thinners for the rest of my life. Okay. And so there is there are some dangers that come with being on blood thinners. You bruise very easily if oh. you fall down and hit your head. You could you could stroke out. You could bleed out. And so there are some dangers, but there are dangers if we are on blood thinners, and of course dangers if we're not. Mm -hmm. And so I choose the danger that is well. I I at least can sort of control I know that I won't ride a bike without a helmet right. or you know all of the things that that will help keep me safe and, right. and then mostly I cross my fingers yeah because yeah. there's really no logical explanation yeah. why that happened to me and again and, like know, we talked about yeah a minute ago like even with that chaos instead of focusing of on why can't I figure this one out why don't I have the answers why what can I do going forward is a better question to ask because there's always something there's adjustments that can be made right. but when it comes to the fitness thing since that happened how has your approach changed to running since then uh, well the the strange thing is that um over the last few years with with you know the, my husband's cancer mm -hmm. and then this situation and there were a couple other things we lost a beloved pet the dog rudy a golden retriever 
Um, he sort of was the anchor for Bruce um, and myself during the, the, the horrible chemotherapy and surgeries and all of those things. Rudy was sort of the thing that kept us grounded. And um, the first time, just two months after uh, Bruce was de declared cancer-free the first time, Rudy died of cancer. Mm -hmm. And I was so angry. Yeah. I was so angry for so long because it just wasn't fair. And I'm not going to use a cuss word on your podcast, but it wasn't mm -hmm. fair, you know. Um, and and I was, it, just, it made me, it made me so angry at the universe uh, because I just kept thinking, why do we keep getting punched with this thing and that thing? And like, you know, I'm like, I've always tried to be a good person and live my life in a way that feels you know, I live with integrity and, you know, I respect people and, and do all the things that I believe a good human should do. Right. And we just had one gut punch after another. Mm -hmm. And it was, it made me feel kind of unglued. Yeah. 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 So. That reminds me of something very similar. I mean, I think about that quite a bit. Like, why does all this bad stuff have to happen when you feel like you're doing all the right things? You're treating people well. You're trying to live a good life, but yeah, all this crap keeps coming. And it's hard to make sense of, of why. And I had that, again, when I was playing soccer for a long time. So I felt that, you know, I was treating people well. I was working my butt off. It made sense that some things should go my way. It seemed logical that that should be the case, right? And when it wasn't time and time and time and time again, I started to understand for myself that, damn, nobody owes me anything. And the world doesn't owe me anything either. So I have to stop expecting that stuff because, again, I don't think you're wrong to expect that, hey, if I treat people well and I'm a good person, something good should come my way. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Right. But if you do that and then you end up getting hurt, you will become resentful. Right. Just like you mentioned that you did a minute ago. Right. I started to do that with soccer. I started to blame soccer, like I've mentioned before on the podcast, for all my problems when things weren't going well. It made no sense, mm -hmm. you know? And my mind shifted to, damn, nobody owes me nothing. The world owes me nothing, so, so what can I do about it? Well, there's things that I can control. Right. And if I just focus on those, then maybe, just maybe, something good might come my way. So I stopped thinking all on the lines of deserving. I don't deserve stuff just because I treat people well or just because of this. I think that I should treat people well anyways because, you know, if you treat somebody poorly, it's a guarantee they'll, they'll treat you poorly back. But if you treat them with kindness, there's a good chance that they also will do the same. But you shouldn't expect it. Same with when it came to pursuing soccer. You know, I thought, well, if I just keep doing all these right things, something's got to come. I let go of that and realize that I'm just going to try hard anyways because it just means so much to me. And then maybe, just maybe, something might come my way. So to let go of those expectations is like the hardest thing in the world. Yeah. One of the big ones is like, this is the one I hear a lot, is that because I'm a human being, I deserve happiness. I don't believe that whatsoever. I believe that like happiness is something you earn. Because you got to do something about it. You don't just sit home and then happiness just comes through the door. Something's got to be done. You don't just go around and treat people like shit or do terrible things. And, and just because you're a human, good things should come. I don't think it works that way. I think in a scenario like that, it's it's hard to not be bitter. When all these things keep going on, I was there, you mm -hmm. know. And right. now my, my mindset is, well, if I'm going to be happy, 
I'm going to try to control the things that I can. Treating people with kindness, I'm not expecting anything in return. So like when I speak to you or somebody else, I never expect them to be super nice to me back. But right. that's what makes you a good human. Right. And, and, and I think that being a good human has its own merit. Yeah. You don't expect anything in return. Just be a good human anyway. Right. To do anything else makes you a jackass. Right. You know? Right. Uh, be kind to people. Because yeah. it, it'll make you feel good at the end of the day if yeah. you do that. Like if you treat people well for, for just the sake of it, like it makes me feel really good. If, again, I'm doing my part, not expecting anything else in return anymore, but just feels right to do my part, whether it comes to how you treat people or doing things in your life, whether it's how you approach work or activities and, and whatnot, your relationships. If you just try your best and do the stuff that makes you happy, I think that's the only way you win. Right. You know? Right. And it's interesting because... Um, you know, we talked about running and that was one of the things for so long that was, it was my thing. It was my, it was the thing that made me happy. It was the thing that was all mine mm -hmm. and, you know, there was nothing anybody could take from me. It was my, it felt like freedom. It felt, and, and then as these things began to happen in my life, these terrible things, I started to lose my love for that too. Mm -hmm. And, and you and I talked about that a few yeah. times. We talked yeah. about that, and I shed some tears about it because mm -hmm. losing my desire and my love to run felt like losing my best friend. Yeah. And that yeah. was really difficult for me. Mm -hmm. um, I, there are still days that I was like, oh, yeah, that, I'm, that I'm still, oh, I, boy, I'd sure love to sign up for another half marathon. Right. And then I'm like, no, because I know that I won't now enjoy putting in the work the way that I did before. And mm -hmm. that's okay. Mm -hmm. I can still be fit. I'll just do it in a different way. Right. I still run. Right. I still run a couple, three times a week. Nowhere near before. But and as I said, when we talked about it before, that felt like losing my best friend. And I know you had a similar sort of feeling with soccer. Mm -hmm. Like... It left you not knowing what you were supposed to do right. with yourself. And right. that's how I felt too with yeah. running. Yeah. yeah. Over the years, again, when you do it for so long, you'll experience burnout. And I had that multiple times and that was hard to make sense of too, you know. And obviously you've had it yourself as well. But I think, and again, we have had this conversation, but when it comes to that point where it's not quite making you happy like it used to, you have to keep in mind that you don't owe anything to running and running owes you nothing. That's what I kept in mind with the soccer thing. Like I sacrificed a lot for it and I'm very happy I did, but I understand that today I owe nothing to soccer and obviously the game owes me nothing either, you know? Right. There's still ways to enjoy those things that, that soccer gave me. Mm -hmm. For example, like being around the game teaches you so much and now that I don't play anymore, coaching is an avenue where I still get to, to have that joy and be around this game that I loved growing up. And it like naturally evolved into that. Same with like the running thing. I think you enjoyed running, but fitness is something you enjoy because it's it's like a challenge for yourself, and right. it feels good to to accomplish that. But then, fitness in general, when you when you do it, you feel good. You feel good physically, but then you feel good about yourself, and so it's evolved for you. Mm -hmm. You still probably work out as often as you did before, but it's different now. It's different, right? It's so different. Yeah. what are you doing nowadays that that you're not running anymore? As much, or are you still? I'm still running. Okay. And I, I run with the wonderful group of women. We call sure. ourselves the Princess Warriors, and they're <laughs> some of my best friends in yeah. the world. I love them so dearly. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm still running um, a, a couple, three days a week, mm -hmm. um, but I'm going to the gym. I'm lifting. I play pickleball with you and, yeah. and yeah. some of the other kids, mm -hmm. and I've got a friend, um, Megan, who we play pickleball. And so 
I'm I'm doing a lot of things. I'm I think I'm I'm playing more yep. than I did before. Before it was I had a goal. I'm gonna make this plan. Come here's this race date, and now I need 16 weeks to prepare. And so here's the plan I'm gonna put out. Right. Now I don't really I don't have a plan, but that's okay. Sure. It feels okay. And I think for me, the the running thing, I I I got I got kind of bitter about it after the whole you know the um, blood clots in my lungs I got really bitter because when I was a runner and I was performing well and running well I, I felt like a superhero mm-hmm. and then this thing happened and yanked off my cape yep. and I was like well so I did all this for nothing which wasn't true right, right. but that was the story I was telling myself sure. and so then I was like well this isn't that fun anymore then just never mind and, but I was yeah. sad about that also so right. I became resentful yeah. and sad and all and the that's things like a, because again if, as somebody likes to control stuff you want to make sense of things and so when it comes to something for yourself it's easy to jump to something negative right away yeah right all these years I was running and all this stuff and what was the point now mm-hmm. you know that's an easy thing to do it's much harder to, to, to rethink it of all the good stuff that came with it right, you know right. and I think about again the, the soccer thing is there's plenty I could be bitter about, mm-hmm. you know, all the times I moved around and things not going right, mm-hmm. staying in my car for a short period, moving overseas sure. and like things just not going right. well. I could be mad that none of that worked out. I spent my money and my time to do all that. Right. But when I look back back at it, I'm very fortunate that it went the way that it did. Sure. You know, mm-hmm. the times I was told I wasn't good enough or the times that things didn't go well for me, which was often like, I feel very fortunate that 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 stuff happened right. because I wouldn't have the mindset that I do right now. Right. I can look back at that stuff in a very positive way and it's because I have the mindset that I do now because of that. And this is something that can't be taken away from me. And that's funny that you say that because now when I think about how absurd it, it, it was for me, and it kind of, I mean, now that things are fine, it mm-hmm. makes me laugh a little to like how absurd was it for me? I'm all of a sudden unable to breathe when I'm running and instead of thinking oh man something must be seriously wrong with me I think what do you do and you're not working hard enough how absurd is that to blame myself and literally I'm dying in that moment and I don't know it Mm -hmm. And, and, and so instead of reaching out saying something might really be wrong I should probably ask for help I blamed myself for not training hard enough or being enough or being something and literally, it was killing me. Yeah. And that is absurd. And it, I mean, and I can joke about it now. It, but when you think about how silly was that, me almost dying because I was stubborn and thought, well, it's 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 me. It's right. just me, and I'm not doing the right things. Right. Oh, not true. And I could have died because of that silliness. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm here, and so. This is my public service announcement to anyone who mm-hmm. normally is okay and is having trouble breathing. Mm-hmm. Please go see a physician. Right. Please, right. please, please. Right. You know? And I think that mindset, I think it was developed that as you grew up mm-hmm. because you also didn't grow up in like the most best of environments, you know? No. And so early on when you see like your mom struggling or your family struggling, right. you develop a mindset that you're going to have to work for stuff, Yeah. you know? Mm-hmm. And I think that once you develop that mindset, whether it's... In, whether you're really young, middle school or younger, or high school and, and later, mm-hmm. you always think that you shouldn't make excuses, right. you know? Right. And although that's like a, that's a, it can be a good thing in itself to an extent, right. but when it comes to being honest, especially when it comes to health, yeah. that can't translate over into health. No. You know what right. I mean? Because it you're going to hurt yourself in the long run. It's good that 
you know, when you struggle, you know that you got to work for stuff and you, you shouldn't complain. You, right. We're tougher than we think we are, True. but we're also not invincible. Right. And you have to recognize that. But I thought I was. Right. And therein lies the, therein lies the hook that, that led me to this craptastic right. spiral in my brain, you mm -hmm. know? Mm -hmm. um, and, and, you know, also like growing up, I grew up very poor. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we were hungry a lot. Right. Um, and so you, you, you know that you have to work for things. Um, but when you, when you have, when you grow up like that, you often, um, are treated as though you're undeserving of help. Sure. So I think part of that, and I'm not one of those people who's like, Oh, I had a crappy childhood. This, I'm going to blame that for this or everything. But right. I think you right. do carry some of these things into, to your adult mindset yeah. that I'm undeserving of help. So I better do everything on my own. Sure. And I can't, right. and that's been the hardest lesson for me in all of this, mm -hmm. is that I'm not an island, right. and sometimes I have to call stable and ask for help, sure. or my other kids, and you know, yeah. or I have to, you know, see a doctor if I can't breathe, yeah. or yeah. you know, things yeah. like that. I mean, you, you, no one is an island. Everybody needs help at some point, yeah. and I have to make sure that I am and am giving myself permission. And finding the courage to ask. Yeah, yeah. I think we're like in a really fortunate position, especially when it comes to that family thing of being able to reach out to each other. Yeah. I think we have like a, a family relationship that few people have. Oh, our family you know? is amazing. It's crazy. And then like, because I think about it a lot. Like obviously I'm 26 and you're 50, 51. 51. Okay, so that's and an I'm age. fabulous 51. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. You all just need to know that. Right, no question, no question. But... <laughs> Even now, like the conversations that we can have, how often do you hear of like 26 year olds having conversations like this with parents? Right. You know what I mean? It isn't often. Mm -hmm. But I do think that by us being open and honest with with each other is one way that obviously we grow closer together. Absolutely. Because I think it's easy when it's hard to communicate, whether it's with your siblings or whether it's with your parents because of the age gap or whatever the case that it is, it's easy that, hey, we're just age different we're different times so there's really not much to talk about and that's just excuses you know mm -hmm. because as the adult you were a kid once as well mm -hmm. you know and then as the younger person you're gonna get old also mm -hmm. you know and also because you have a history with these people they're sure. your family you have a history with them so you assume that you already know everything about right. them right. and that isn't true I not mean we've all. had some amazing discussions on seven hour car rides yeah. and I learned things about you I learned things about Nick, sure. the other, you know, Nick, my son, I, yeah. I, you know, all, all of these things. So we cannot assume just because we all came up together that we know everything there is to right. know. Right. I hope you're learning something about me tonight, right now, yeah. you know, yeah. I hope you're learning. Absolutely. I mean, you know, that, uh, so I, I think that that's really important as, as family. Yeah, be, be honest with yeah. one another. Uh, be courageous enough to ask, to lean on each other when yeah. you need them. Yeah. So. I think that's one thing that everybody should try is... Whether it's road trips or just sitting around the porch or a fire or something like that, we always have a book, a book of questions, yes. of fun life questions, you mm -hmm. know, either what if questions or just kind of big picture questions. And we as a family always go around, go around in circles and ask these questions and talk about them in detail, you know. Mm -hmm. First of all, like you learn a lot of stuff about the, these people that you know for a long time but that you don't know about them yet, you know. Right. And it's just so awesome to, to get to open up, you know mm -hmm. what I mean, to talk about that sort of stuff is it can be hard, you know. Yeah. And just think about it, like even like with 
obviously with your kids, you're around them all the time. You grow up with them, but like, how often do you have these super honest, deep conversations? I, it, I swear it doesn't happen enough. You know what I mean? I when I talk to people my age, the relationship with the parents is, it's rare that it's a good one, you know? And a, I think communication is the big one there. Right. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It is difficult, again, being younger to try and find something to relate to your parents with and actually talk about it, and vice versa. When there's plenty there, I think, it's again, like you said, taking the, it's the courage, taking that leap. Right. To get together and mm-hmm. talk, mm-hmm. honestly, you know? Right. So I think more people should do that. I agree, you know? and I think that's the that's one of the things that I'm most proud of as a mom is that um, I'm proud of the depth of relationships right. between you and Yelena who are, are not mine but feel like mine very right. much so, right. and then Amanda and Nicholas who are mine. Mm-hmm. And But we've all worked to, to make sure that those relationships have depth and... I mean, we're always in constant communication, and we have we have a good time. And in fact, um, Yelena, your sister, just texted me yesterday. Said, "I cannot wait for summer so we can sit on the porch mm-hmm. and ask questions." Yeah. And I said, "Me too. <laughs> it's one of my favorite things to do." Yeah. And I believe that it binds us. And I and I think that's one of the things that has made us all so ridiculously, wonderfully close as mm-hmm. a family unit. And I know that I can literally call any one of you at any given time and you will be by my side in 10 minutes if I need you. Yeah. And that feels amazing to right. me as a mom. Right. Yeah. And also, at least for me personally, and maybe for you and, and any others as well, but knowing that our relationship is in this good place, and, and this is something that we worked on. Yes. So it, it's one thing to say that you just have a good relationship or you don't and you leave it at that. Ours is something that I think we, we built and worked on, you know. So... I don't think we're just fortunate that we have it. We we earned it. We okay, cultivated that, it. Exactly. By, yeah. I mean, literally in-depth conversations on the front porch of Mama's house. Yeah. Um, you know, asking just really deep questions of one another. And, and I mean, it's to me, like, to, to, to cultivate and to grow relationships like that, I, I can think of no... Again, that's one of the things that I'm most proud of yeah. as a parent yeah. as a mom absolutely yeah and it does a lot for me because i always think about like when it came to soccer the chances that i took there the stuff that i'm doing now somebody recently asked me uh, when it comes to doing the podcast someone asked me like how do i have the courage to do that and for me there's lots of reasons but one of the big ones is again i always think about like worst case scenario when it comes to like when i make my decisions and especially with stuff that makes me uncomfortable and that's new to me I always think worst case scenario, if I start this thing and it goes absolutely terrible, nothing goes right, I lose everything, I have people that I can call, that I can go to, that I can pick myself back up from there. You Mama Meta's got a room waiting for you exactly. every day of your life. Exactly. So that gives me, again, a lot of confidence to try things. That's why, like, in my mind, I have no excuses when it comes to doing the podcast or trying to go and speak. I got no problem asking people to do stuff like that because, worst case scenario, again, I have people that can pick me back up. And whether it's you matter or anybody that's listening to this one, I always talk about everybody wanting to do something. There's a million reasons why they don't. I think one good reason to do it is, first of all, if you don't have good people in your life that you can go to, develop those relationships. A lot of that is on you. Whether it's a family member or or just a friend, develop a good relationship with them. Get a a good circle. A small one like we always talk about, but like a tight one. Because if you have that... You should have the courage to try stuff. Right. They should support you. And at the end of the day, if you have people there for you, that if, all, if everything goes to hell, 
They will pick you back up. You have no excuses. That's correct. And I and and one of the things I love to say is, you know, if you if you weren't born into the the, the family you wanted, then create it. That's right. Create the family you want. That's and, right. And I feel I've done a pretty good job. I mean, sitting across from you and you're doing all these wonderful things, and I'm so proud of mm-hmm. your drive and your passion, and that you know you want to help. And honestly, I was thinking, oh well, we talked before we even started. I was like. What will anybody want to hear from me right. for the next hour? What will I have to offer anybody? But you clearly see something that I have, you know, I mean, you yeah. see something in me that maybe could help someone else. And I'm like, okay, yeah. I guess I'm game then. Let's right. let's do it. But I'm just, I'm just proud as hell of you, kid. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I appreciate it, you know. Yeah. And I'm glad you say that because, like, again, one of the main slogans I have for this whole thing is that everybody has a story worth sharing and a vision worth fighting for. And I believe that more than anything, regardless of where you come from or what you've been through, I really believe that, you know, the, this platform is so that people can get the idea of that, that you're not the only one that's going through this. You have plenty to offer to talk about. Sometimes I think that to myself, like with the, my story and all the stuff I've done, does anybody care? And then what I started to realize is whether it's my day-to-day interactions through work or just out and about or through coaching, Every time I have a conversation with somebody, it just sparks something in them that, I'll put it this way, I can tell they haven't had a conversation like that before. Right. When right. I was started to be very honest with myself, I could have these cool, meaningful conversations with people, and they always get something out of it, and they always appreciate it. And that's when I knew, well, if I can honestly and openly, t- openly talk about like my struggles and what I went through and, and how I'm dealing with stuff now, a lot of people relate. Right. So that also means that other people will relate to other stuff that they have to say. For example, one of the guests I had recently was a, a young lady that um, had two miscarriages. That's obviously something that I cannot relate to, okay? I just can't. Right. A lot of people can. Right. So it's always worth sharing stuff like that. For example, I haven't been with an individual for a long part of my life, and then they got cancer. Mm-hmm. I haven't had a major health scare, but a lot of people have. I guarantee you right now there will be a woman listening to this podcast at mm-hmm. some point whose husband is struggling with yeah. cancer and in treatment and she's trying to figure out how to keep the whole world together at the same time mm-hmm. and so i guess the bottom line is is you can't right. you can't um you just can do your best in the moment and hope it's enough yeah. and when it isn't ask for help right that's the lesson I'm still learning. Right. I'm still yeah. learning. I'm yeah. 51 and I'm still learning a yeah. whole bunch of stuff. And yeah. I do that stuff like all the time now, but I'm in a place where I feel super confident about it. I'm not worried to ask for help because I don't take myself too seriously. I used to for a long time, especially when I was pursuing something because I thought I, I can do all this stuff. You know what I, I mean? But again, I'm, I'm just human also. Mm-hmm. And so now I'm doing stuff. I'm in the realm of doing a lot of stuff that's new to me. There's stuff that I'm good at and I enjoy, but there's a heck of a lot more that I'm not very good at. And instead of pouting or just, you know, getting mad because things aren't going well and I'm trying, I could ask for help. Right. And so now I, I got zero problems doing that, you know, because there's a lot I can offer. There's some stuff I need help with. When it came to editing, I had lots of people, I had people to ask to help me with that. When it came to what mic do I use, I had somebody to ask for that, you know. When it comes to how to use social media and Facebook, I, I asked people for that. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of stuff I ask people. When I came to, I'm working on business cards now for the stuff that I'm doing, and I ask you to help me with that because you have a creative mindset when it comes to words mm-hmm. and putting images together to, mm-hmm. to look, you know, smooth. You, you can tell a story through words and through images that I cannot, mm-hmm. you know. So 
I try to mess with that that website called what is it called Vistaprint? Vistaprint Vistaprint to make business cards and I'm sure a lot of people have used that stuff or are looking to make business cards and what's nice is that it has so many tools on there sure. it's fantastic but that's something that's like so overwhelming to me you know mm-hmm. and I don't want to sit there and struggle for months trying to come up with this perfect card sure. I'd rather ask, ask somebody that knows what they're doing right you know and this is where I say I got you boo exactly yeah yeah that helps me a yeah let's move to a letter note I want to talk about something fun okay okay so yay obviously you've had lots of pets throughout your life mm-hmm. so if I, I had kittens when I was younger or cats when I was younger one dog um but just very recently I got myself a cat Okay, so I adopted a cat very recently, and it was kind of out of nowhere. In fact, you had a lot to do with it. I did. Because we talked a lot about, I want to get one sometime soon, that'd be great, you know. Oh, yeah. And then you sent me a message on Facebook from the Humane Society of a picture with this cat that you thought I'd like. Yes. And you said it looked like a lion. I was like, okay, let me have a look. And so you sent it to me, and I looked at it, and I thought, wow, that's a pretty cool cat. You know, and it did look like a lion because I love the big mane and the colors were really nice. Because it's a mane coon. Mane coon, exactly, uh-huh. yep. And so I was like, that's, that's a cool cat. That's nice. And um, I said, do you know if it's still there? And he said, probably. So he said, just call them. So I thought, well, they open in half an hour. I'll just call them. We'll see if they have it, right? And so I was thinking, you know, I'm bored. It's close by. Why don't I just swing by since it's almost 10? So I just swung by. And I said, let me have a look at this cat to see if it's still there. And sure enough, it was, you know, and... I didn't realize what shape it was in. I think you mentioned that it was like a foster cat, but I didn't know what it would look like, you know, so I got there and very nice cat, but in really awful shape. Right. It had like a really bad hurt paw from something. It had a respiratory problem, a, weird, a bad cold for cats, you know. Uh-huh. Then it also had really bad matting. Uh-huh. It was terrible. So I've no Because idea. it's a long-haired cat. Long-haired cat. Very yeah. matted. So it must have been outside for some time, but I don't know how long, you know. And so, you know, it's funny. They were asking me, um, it's like all these adoption questions and whatnot, and I thought, well, can I just come back another day to pick it up? I gotta go to work. And with foster cats, you can't do that. You can't have them on holds. And they're like, this another couple here to see it also. So I'm like, oh man, I'm in a tough spot. What do I do? I'm here now. So I just thought, whatever, I'll just do it. Take the so cat. I just signed the paperwork. I took the cat right there in there, you know. And so it's been great ever since. And I'm someone that's like, you know, I work full time. I go to Iowa City to to coach soccer. Uh, for those that don't know, I do that a little bit as well. And then I do the podcast. So I try to stay busy. And I thought that there's no way I'm going to be able to incorporate the cat into this also because he's going to be at home all day. How am I going to do this? You know? Mm-hmm. But the point of all this is that, you know, now it's having a pet, like you mentioned earlier, you form this weird bond. You do. Where it's almost like a, a family member. It is. You know? That helps you get through those tough times. I mean, I had a dog when I was younger when my mom passed away. Like that was a. It helped a ton. Absolutely. It just kept your mind off of things, you know, kind of like your situation with mm-hmm. your dog and, and, and then your husband with the, mm-hmm. the cancer. But nowadays, it's like whenever I come home, there's something to look forward to regardless of how the day went. And it's just absolutely nuts. So I just want to ask, like for you, obviously you're a big dog person, a golden retriever specifically, you know, yeah. what impact does having a pet like that have in your life, um, especially with those hard times? Yeah. Um, so I, I say all the time that... Uh, a dog is the only creature on earth that is happy to see you every time it sees you. Mm-hmm. That there's, you can't even say that about your people, your spouses, right. your kids, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but but I I think that um, you know animals they need you and mm-hmm. everybody needs to be needed, but they need you on, on on a different kind of level. They provide you a companionship 
that is unconditional and really all they require is your companionship yeah. and some and some food in the dish a couple times a day let mm. them out to go potty but the truth is they they ground you they they make you less selfish yeah. um, because you they, they depend on you for everything like we're sitting here right now and I see this beautiful kitty cat under the table. Mm-hmm. He could be anywhere in this house right now, but he's choosing here with you and me. Yeah. He needs us. We need we we need them. Mm-hmm. Um, like and and it's the same with my dog. I mean, we you know get a three bedroom house, but he sits in the recliner with me. He he can have the run of the house, but he chooses me, and that makes a a person feel really good. Yeah, it does. So yeah, um, I mean, I mean, yeah, you know. And if you hear scratching and noises in the background of this one, it's because he's been playing around with his toys. Yeah, <laughs> so I apologize so, for that. He's so sweet. He is. He's but so you know, like, like he just said, again, forming that, that bond where they need you and you need them. Mm-hmm. My dad, he's been the one that's been living with um, the chihuahua that I got way back when I was in high school, you yeah. know? And my dad, he, he lives alone, you know, lost his wife early on, lost his parents and all that. So he's been on his own for quite some time now. And He's been with this dog for years, you know, and just recently, it was a few months ago, um, we thought he had ran away, mm-hmm. and and the dog, not the dog, dad. not my dad. He doesn't know what time, but he always comes home. So <laughs> the dog, he, he got out. My dad always lets him out to use the bathroom, you know, and he's always right around the house. But this time, for some reason, I don't know if something scared him and he ran off or started to chase something. But it was the first time that he was gone for more than about five minutes. And it was bitterly cold. It was bitterly cold, night. you know, and so he calls me. While I was at work and he says, hey, we got a problem. So I ask him what's going on, you know, and he says that, you know, the dog got out and I can't find him. I was like, what do you mean you can't find him, you know? And so he came and picked me up from work. We went home and started looking around all over the house. And that's when I called you mm-hmm. and then Nick. And then we started to roam Your around. Your whole family, my whole family yep. came out to, to look for the dog because yep, yep. that's what we do. Yeah. And so we went and like went from neighborhood to neighborhood, like blocks from yeah. within us, you know, because he had to be around there somewhere, and we just couldn't find him, you know. And while I was in the car with my dad, and this, this you know, ties back to again that bond you have with the pet, you know. I was almost like upset with my dad, like, why do you let him out? How can you let him lose him like that, you know? And because obviously he saw, saw I was like struggling and I was upset with it, you know. And he said, you know, stay well. At the end of the day, like, yes, like you love this dog, but I'm the one that's with him every single day. He's, he sleeps with me every single day, right. you know. And like when I heard him say that, like, you know, my dad can be like a He's a tough guy, a cool person sometimes, you know what I mean? But like, he's been through his stuff, so like it almost seems like nothing ever bothers him, you know? And when like, he said that to me like that, really just opened my my eyes up to the impact that a pet can have. You right. know what I mean? Obviously, I felt that while I was younger when I lost my mom, I didn't think it would make a difference to him, especially like in the line of work that he's in. He's been a butcher his entire life since he's 14, you know? Right. And so that requires, obviously, like slaughtering animals in humane ways how he does it, but... Sure. That form that bond with like a pet. I never thought like I could see him have that, you know. And when we had that conversation that day, it just. And when he knew he was missing, I think you maybe didn't realize the depth of loss your dad was uh, yeah. feeling in that yeah. moment because he doesn't maybe demonstrate right. it so openly. Right. But when he said that, you knew right away he was reeling for the fact that this little guy was gone out in the cold in the middle of the night and yeah. nobody knew how to find him. So right. Luckily, he came back. Yeah. Rocky did. He did. You know, it was funny. We were, again, searching around the streets. We couldn't find him. And so we, I think you, you or Nick posted something on Facebook. Yeah. If you've seen this little guy or something, yes. you know. And, yeah. and this is like almost mean to say, I think, about this. But at the end of that night, like when we kind of called it off and said, hey, let's just hope that maybe somebody uh, finds him and returns him the next day. Um, 
in my mind, since again, I don't live there, but I did grow up with this dog. At the end of that night, or before we found him, I'll put it that way, before we found him and we all went home, in my mind, I accepted that that was it. I probably won't see him again. You know, I just accepted that. I don't know why. I just, because I'm someone that like tries to be realistic, you know, so I didn't want to be like, oh, for sure, he'll come back tomorrow. Someone's going to find him. So in my mind, I just accepted that was it, you know. And whether that's wrong or right, I don't know. It's just a weird feeling, you know. I get it, but I think I get that that the that you are realistic, but realism needs to leave a little room for optimism. Right. 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 So I mean, they yeah. can coexist. Yeah. You know? And that's how it happened. You know, like yeah. we, we called it off, and my dad obviously lives alone with the dog, so he didn't want to be home by himself if the dog's not there. So he went to a friend's place for a while, and he came home, and he calls me as he gets home. He walks up on the porch, and he says, "Guess who's." sitting out here and so the dog the dog came back my heart so he, was so happy yeah, for but he was gone for like what an hour a few hours it actually was, it was probably three or four hours, three or four hours and it was cold freezing outside it was cold yeah, yeah yeah so i just thought that like if he is outside for this long amount of time and it's this cold i don't know how he could get but i don't know i don't know how it works <laughs> you know right, what I mean? right which is a crazy thing i mean you know but, but there he was and so yeah your realism i get it i right, get it right. but also leave some room. He always has to. That's a good point. Leave some wiggle room yeah. for optimism yeah. to stay <laughs> I know. I know. I'm working on it. I'm working on it. Hey, look. We're all works in progress, right? right. right? That's yeah. the whole point of your exactly. podcast. Exactly. So we're all works in progress. Yeah. I'm and still learning. Another thing with the podcast is everybody always likes to talk a little bit about like something creative. That's the, I always like to hear something creative from people, which is great. And the big one for you is writing. Yes. That's something you've done. You're in my whole career. Your whole career. Mm-hmm. Your whole career, right? Mm-hmm. So... When it comes to the writing, obviously, I think it's a creative outlet for you. Mm-hmm. How long have you had that? And like, what does writing do for you? Because I know for me, I like to write myself a way different extent than you do, you know. But like, it, it feels good. It gets my mind working. It makes me feel good. Same with when I speak to people. It makes me feel a certain way that I feel like I can't get any anywhere else, you mm-hmm. know. So what does writing do for you? Um, um, so I... I consider myself to be have, have been born a storyteller, mm-hmm. and 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 I don't know why it, it's not. I I um I work at a newspaper, and I've been writing for a newspaper for twenty four years, mm-hmm. um and I've learned a lot and and honed my skills there. But it it's um writing to me is like you you have to know something about what you're writing about. So every every time you're writing, you're also learning. Right. Um, but it's not just the writing. So now, now one of the things that I'm I'm wanting to do is is I know how to tell a good story. Now I want to learn to tell it differently. Right. I want to learn to use the tools to edit podcasts. We've talked about that a little yeah, bit. Yeah. I want to learn to edit video because in the end, those are still uh, you're still telling a story. You're just right. using a different set of tools. Right. And so I think that that's exciting for me to begin learning those new ways. To do something that I already know and and do pretty well, and that's not cocky, that's confidence. Yeah. I know that I'm a good storyteller. That's right. So so yeah, so so that for me, I mean, I guess what it does for me, I, I, I'm not even sure to to be honest. It's just something. It it feels like like I I writing to me feels like breathing. It comes yeah. as naturally to me as breathing, mm-hmm. and I don't know why. Mm-hmm. I. I I don't think you need to ask why. Yeah, <laughs> you know? right. I know, but, you, you, but, see, but then there's that, well, why? Right, why, right, why, right, why? Right. Yeah. I think like the, the why is like one of those things where 
it can be hard to explain sometimes, you yeah. know what I mean? But it doesn't always need an explanation. Like, I think you understand the why when you keep on doing it. Right. Like, when you're sitting there actively doing it, you don't really think about why. Right. But it's something you're passionate about, and it's something you keep on doing. Mm-hmm. That kind of tells you everything you need to know about why. Like, why haven't you stopped? Maybe that's a better question to ask. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Because if I say, why don't you just stop writing? Mm-hmm. Then it's easier to think about, hold on. This is what makes me happy. This this is a cool outlet, yeah. you know? Yeah. So it's like the reverse that one sometimes of, why not? Right. Then it gets you thinking, well, I couldn't live without it probably. That's true. Yeah. And, and, and what I do, what I do is I, I write other people's stories. I, yeah. and, and that to me, like I find people very interesting. Like you say, true. everybody has a story. Mm-hmm. And writing allows me to find those stories in, in people. Mm-hmm. And so now the exciting thing for me is to, to learn to tell that story in different ways yeah. through video or podcasting or whatever. Yeah. So, so um, yeah, I'm a born storyteller. Right. I guess I was just gifted. Like I said, it's as easy as breathing for yeah. me, telling a story. And so. one of the things you have to do before you can write those stories is obviously like talk to the people first. Sure. You know? And so I know that you, you're usually the one in positions where you're asking people the questions you're the one that sets all that up yep. and you kind of guide where everything goes correct so right now since we're doing this podcast and i'm asking most of the questions is this the first time like you've had that switch yeah and it's super weird is it really it's super strange oh. to, to um because when you are interviewing someone to tell their story you're sort of you're you're in control of the conversation mm-hmm. anyway i mean you you give lots of latitude because you want to make sure that you give pauses to really let them finish and tell their story in a way that is meaningful to them um but yeah to be on the other end of the questioning is really difficult and i'll I'll be honest i was a little nervous about it even though obviously we're very close and i know you very well like uh to tell my own story is foreign to me to tell my own so i'm used to telling everybody else's stories and their stories seem important but for some reason my story doesn't seem so important right right which is crazy it's absurd it is. You know? It it's really absurd. Is. Because it, you have that, that idea in your head, like, who am I? Correct. Well, I want to listen, you know? And right. Like, I have that, too. And that's, like, that's, a, that's a weird one to think through, you know? Mm-hmm. And like we talked about earlier, obviously, everybody has a different flavor. Everybody has something different to offer. It's, it, it's really buying into that. Right. That's what's hard, you know? And I think you have plenty of reasons to do so. And I kind of want to make an analogy here, but like for a lot of people that are wanting to do something or try something or thinking about maybe maybe it's a good idea i want to do this but mm-hmm. that but always comes up you know what i mean of well other people are doing it maybe it'll be stupid or silly you know at the end of the day you always have something and like we mentioned earlier there's a lot we can't control right right you spend time thinking about that you get nowhere mm-hmm. you spend time asking the right questions you can probably get somewhere but before you can get there obviously it helps to have some confidence before you can ask those questions you have to build that confidence. And confidence to me is like what I talked about happiness earlier. You have to earn that stuff. Right. When I was playing soccer, I thought confidence is something you either have or you don't. That's what it felt like. Because when shit wasn't going well for me, it just felt like I just don't have confidence. And that's just kind of it. You know Which isn't I mean? true. That's very black right. and white thinking. Right. Right? It is. It's very black and white thinking. Yeah. I mean, I, I, you know, I'm 51 and people, people should, well, I've had a long career and I should have it all together. Right. Oh my, I still lack confidence going yeah. into a lot of situations. Yeah. I just, I pretend really well, but there are times where I'm like, holy moly, what am I doing here? I don't belong here. Yeah. It's not true. It's yeah. just a story I'm telling myself. Because yeah. um, it's, it's, it's easier to focus on the stuff that you're not good at or why you can't. It's, it's way more difficult to focus on like why you are good enough to do this thing, right. why this thing will work out, why I should try. 
Mm-hmm. I mean, your experience in your life is a track record for that. Mm-hmm. Regardless of whatever it is you're doing, I mean, it doesn't matter how old you are. You've done stuff in the past. You don't just sit there and go through life doing nothing. There's, there's something. You're good at something, right? right? If you can focus on, on those things and ask yourself again those questions, I always go back to asking those right questions. Like, there's nothing more important to me to me than that. Mm-hmm. It's easy to, to ask the wrong ones. Why it's not going to work out? Why do I suck? Easy, because you can think of a million reasons why. Because a lot of our brains are programmed to think negative because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. it's everywhere, right? right? To ask the right questions, the answers are still there, just a lot tougher. For example, like when it comes to... I do this with the athletes that I train when they're struggling with exercises, you know, and they're doing them wrong. I never say, why do you suck? That's <laughs> that not wouldn't go over well. wouldn't go over very well, would it, right? That's not something you want to think about or put into your head. Obviously, none of us are perfect. There's a reason we train in the first place, and that's to improve, right? That's, that, that's a positive mindset to have. You're always trying to improve. So what I always ask him is, how does this drill need to be done? And then how do we need to do it to make it better? Because I've asked you the question of, how it needs to be done how can it improve your mind will work in that way something needs to be done it might be a little bit more difficult because it, it's hard to think through of how exactly do i improve on this thing it, it, it's tough because if, if, if you say i just can't i'm just not good at it then you're done right you're, the work's over you don't have to do anything else i'm just not good enough i just can't do it mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. if you ask how do i improve this drill now you have an idea of how so some adjustment must be made right and if you can do that enough times sports is obviously the easiest analogy you know but that translates to anything that you're doing. Similar with writing. Right. You're not the writer. You, uh, I always have trouble wording this, but today you're a different writer than you were when you started, right? That's correct. And why is that the case? Because um, I've, I've done it over and over and over and I've honed the skill. Exactly. Honed the skill. And now, and, and now part of my job is to edit and coach other writers. Right. Um, and, and, and help them be better also. Yeah. So, yeah. And it's not something you really think about anymore, is it? No. No, you just it's, do as, it. it's as easy as breathing. Yeah. 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 And I think that that's like something that should give you tons of confidence going forward because that's something that you can offer that other people don't have. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And we talked briefly about that before, but... Yeah. For anybody out there that's like trying something new, mm-hmm. think about the stuff that you enjoy and that you're good at right. and ask yourself what you can offer. And I mean, don't just ask and then come to the conclusion that there's nothing. That's easy. Then you're done. You know, right. really think about it. Right. You don't just go through like doing nothing, being nothing. You know what I mean? Right. If you can ask yourself those right questions, it's, it's hard and uncomfortable. Right. But you'll get answers. Right. And know? don't lead yourself into questions that create a, a false narrative. Like right. you can ask. I mean, it, it's the same, if, if, if I were to go into an interview, I can get the story I want by asking pointed questions and mm-hmm. I can lead it to, to, to end up telling the story that I wanted to tell. But the truth is, the folks that I'm interviewing, I need to be telling their story, not yeah. the one I think that I should be telling. Uh-huh. You know, and it's the same when you, when you start asking yourself hard questions, right. you know, don't lead yourself into, well, can I really do this? No, I can't. So I don't know how to do this. So never mind. There's there's a dead end. That's not true. That's not true. We're all capable of learning something new. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. Starts with the right questions, I think. Yeah. <laughs> I hope. Real quick, I want to end on this one. Through all the ups and downs, especially that you've had these last few years, and again, this is like one of the most important questions to me, of all is. How and, and why do you keep going? Does that question make sense? It does. Okay. Um, the, the how and the why, I mean, I think they're probably the same answer. Mm-hmm. It is required of me as a human being 
to to continue to show up uh, I what gets better if I give up right. nothing nothing moves forward it, you know cancer is still in our lives mm-hmm. my husband still is in chemotherapy but if I had given up and said well I can't I, I can't help I can't do any I mean it still doesn't change his situation right. it doesn't change our situation so I mean it's I'll use a running analogy. One foot in front of the other eventually gets you a mile down the road. That's right. So, I mean, as a human, you have choices. I mean, it, it doesn't even... It didn't even cross my mind to not keep going. I just maybe had to find a different way to do it that would maybe make it feel not so terrible. Right. And part of that was beginning to ask for help and leaning hard on my adult children who are mm-hmm. amazing human beings. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's great. And I wanted to, I think we can come full circle because one of the very first thing we talked about is that stuff that's not in our control and how awful that can be. And I like in an amazing place where you're only thinking about the stuff you can't control and that's making you feel a whole lot better. A whole lot better. I mean, look, I'm still a control freak. Yeah. I still like... I still like. My, I can use it like a positive in a positive right, way, right? Right. I mean, mm-hmm. I still, I still like my living room exactly how I like it. It's a small thing, mm-hmm. so that's a thing I can control. The, the the throw pillow will go where it needs to go. Absolutely. But there are just bigger things in life that I can't control, and will they will they bother me at first? Sure, but I'll end up. I mean, I, I don't have a choice but to keep moving forward. I have choices, but Jesus, they sound terrible. If it's not a choice, I would ever even entertain. Right. So yeah, I have. I have uh, a breadth and wealth of human beings in my life who um, who need me, and I need them too. Mm-hmm. So. Amen. Yeah, right. Well, we'll on that one. That's good stuff. Mm-hmm. Better, thanks so much for doing this. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. Thanks Absolutely. for thinking that I had something to say. Absolutely. This is great. Everybody does. Everybody <laughs> has a story worth sharing and a vision worth fighting that for. That is true. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. Again, I am Stavo, and this is Vision is Greater Than Anything. Until next time.